So we're talking about love, <clears throat> and love is not what the, the American culture has taught us. As a matter of fact, if you go to any culture, it's hard to get love right, because uh, in each culture, they seem to teach that love uh, really has a lot to do with self, but this, this passage we're reading shows that's not true at all. We live in a world where we're told to look out for number one, and God says look out for others. That's his definition. We live in a culture that says, what have you done for me lately? And God says to us, the question's different, what have you done for others lately? It seems upside down uh, from what we've been taught in the culture. But who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe God's version of what love is? Or are we going to believe this love of self is really the way, uh, the way to go? I want to go back to the front of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 1. We're going through four through eight. It's the best definition of, of love you'll find in the Bible. First Corinthians 13, four through eight. And it's called the love chapter because God shows us so much here. But I, I wanna read a few things to you here and I want you to notice something because these things look really spiritual but I want you to notice what they are if love isn't involved, okay? If I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love. So if you speak in tongues, it says, I am only a resounding gong rather, and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, so, um, and if I have faith that can move mountains, uh, but have not love, I'm nothing. So all these are still adding up to zero here. Uh, if I give all I possess to the poor, you know, helping the poor, we think that's what super spirituality is, uh, but not necessarily, as this says, and I surrender my body to the flame, so lots of sacrifice in your life, uh, that you you're, you're say you're doing it, for, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. Now, I can tell you that I've been raised in, um, in what we'll call the charismatic uh, Pentecostal ranks, and I'm telling you, I've seen lots of prophecy, especially when I was younger, lots of uh, focus on, on faith and healing, and, uh, and I've seen uh, it work at, at times, but I've seen that much of the time, when there's not love attached, it's, it's just a bunch of bull. I, I guess we, I just use, it's just... <laughs> It, it, nothing, really, nothing really works. Sometimes people <clears throat> act super spiritual and they want to elevate these things as if they're the main thing. These are not the main thing because what do they add to, up to without love? Zero. Nothing. But you take one little thing, it's really the big thing, and you put it in front of everything. <clears throat> now you've got a multiplier that's unbelievable because when the gifts move in love, when the motivation is right, when there's an encouragement coming from God, when there's faith that comes really from this root of what God says is love. When God is, is in charge and he's driving that bus and love is the focus, amazing things start to happen. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you'd meet us today, that you would show us who you are <clears throat> and really how to love. We praise you, Lord, because it's, it's a blessing to have the truth that sets us free. 
Lord, we've been so many places and we've done so many things and we've learned from so many people some good things, but some not quite on the mark, Lord. We miss the mark at times. Would you help us hit the mark with love today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what the Bible says about love. Interesting that God's telling us what it's not in this passage. You know, he, he tells us in lots of places what it is, but, but in 1 Corinthians 13, he wants to make sure we know it's certainly not these things. Love does not boast. It is not proud. So that word boast in the Greek uh, would translate to vaunteth. As a matter of fact, the King James says, love vaunteth not. It means to vault yourself, vaunt yourself, put yourself up there as if you're a big deal. And, and the root of the word is literally the, the word windbag. So a person who thinks a great deal of themselves and is always elevating themselves and talking about themselves and it's hard to sit with them, right, after a while. They don't seem to know that when you want to talk about your child, the conversation switch back to whatever they want to talk about, right? This kind of boasting is really something that comes from, look at me, see what I've done, I deserve some recognition. This, this is boasting. And I think that most of the time, it stems from insecurity. Those people that seem completely confident and they're talking about themselves all the time they're desperate for people to feel that they're somebody and they've done something now listen God wants you all to feel like you're someone and he wants you all to feel blessed but he's saying if you start to elevate yourself as a matter of fact the Bible says not let not your own mouth praise you let it be someone else's you start to do that what happens is things start to degenerate fast in your relationships Psalm 138.6 tells us why it's so important um, to to uh, distance ourselves from pride. It says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. So we want to distance ourselves from pride because God distances himself from people who are proud. Literally, he moves away from them. We don't want to fall into that trap of lifting ourselves up because right behind it, quickly what flows after that is putting others down. We lift ourselves up, we diminish others because we want to feel better about ourselves. Well, there's no pecking order in God's kingdom, in God's economy, in God's view of what he wants, his order. There's no pecking order. Do you know what pecking order is? Max Lucado gives us a good definition in his book, A Love Worth Given. He says, we can thank the Norwegian naturalists for the term. They're the ones who studied the barnyard caste system of the chicken. And by counting the number of times chickens give and receive pecks, we can discern the chain of command. Literally, this is science. The alpha bird does most of the pecking and the omega bird, that's, you know, alpha's first, omega's last. The omega bird gets pecked. The rest of the chickens are somewhere in between. Lucado says he had a friend that he grew up with on a farm that told him a story about her youth, she said she saw chickens attacking a sick newborn on their farm. She ran to her mom and said, Mom, they're going to kill that chicken. And mom said, that's what chickens do, honey. When one of them is sick, the rest peck it to death. Well, you can imagine why God doesn't want a pecking order when you see that. Where in the church, even at work sometimes, we can, people can elevate themselves and act like, you know, I'm, I'm the deal. And uh, you know, you, you should recognize what a big deal I am. Well, God says, I don't want any part of that in, in my way, in my system. 
There's no pecking order. Jesus won't tolerate such a barnyard mentality. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love does not boast, it is not proud. It doesn't elevate itself. Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. This is why I like to say, Horizon is a place where everybody's somebody and Jesus is all. There's no one in this house right now who's unimportant. All of you have importance in God's eyes. Yesterday, Karen and I were traveling and we were stopped coming off the freeway in Woodburn. And an old fellow rode across our path in front of us at the light. And he was graying and he had his shirt off and he, he looked somewhat homeless. It wasn't a nice bike. And as he drove by, his eyes met my eyes. And um, as I looked at him and we made eye contact, I felt like the Lord said to me, I know him. That guy's important to God. But somehow in life, we have created a system where those people aren't important in society and sometimes not important to us. God wants us to know that he loves all of his creation and that they're all special to him. Now, I'm gonna make up this story, but it might be prophetic. Why must everybody be somebody when they walk through these doors? Because just a few blocks down the road, a few doors down, is a lady in her mid-40s whose husband just left her for a younger woman. She doesn't have the income to make it. They're starting legal battles already, and she's thought of suicide several times. But she drove by this church and she saw a sign that said love is. And she said, God, I want, it, I, I want to believe that you're real, but I, I just don't know. And something drew her in here. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm making this story up, but I'm saying it could be prophetic because stuff like this happens all the time. And as she walks through that door, she's trying to figure out if God is real. And we can be unassuming and maybe it's not that we have a lack of love, but maybe we just love our friends so much that we run right by her and throw our arms around them. Maybe we like to hear the positive word from, you know, Brother Tom, who's always given encouragement, so we like to meet with him. And we have our people that we see and then we settle in and we feel good. But maybe she's just wandering around hoping someone would be nice to her. And she sat down and she's here this morning and now she's hearing this. And I want you to know that she is somebody to God. Can you see why everybody's important to him? He loves his creation so much. He loves her so much, and she feels like she's worthless, and he wants to show her. So God says to Horizon, I want this to be a place where everybody's somebody, and they can discover that Jesus is all. Proverbs 6.16 says that there are six things that the Lord hates. Now listen, if the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he still hates stuff, right? What's he hate? Well, one of the things he can't stand, I'm not gonna do all six of them for you today. There's six in this passage. That's a good devotional for you sometime this week. Look at the other five. But here's one of the things he hates, a proud look. 
That can come from money. It can come from pedigree. It, you know, this proud look thing, nobody has, has notified the professional athletes that God hates a proud look. So they become role models and our kids start to have proud looks. And not all of them are that way, I know that. And then there's this new thing in music that, you know, I'm discovering. It's a new word. I just, it's called swag. Any, anybody familiar with swag? It, it, the root is swagger, right? Uh, uh, so so it's, it's you've got to show people that you're cool and you've got to show people that everybody should want to be like you. And here's the deal about all that in our American culture. God hates a proud look. Because it really puts down the rest of his creation. I'm better. Bow down to me. No, no, no. We all bow down to Jesus. That's how it works. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level. I'm not into church politics. I, I don't want people who, to feel like they can get close to me and they'll get something of power and authority. I don't, I don't even like the thought of that. First of all, because Jesus is completely in charge and that's my heart. I'm trying to follow him. Second, because everybody's important here. No one's more important than another person. You say, well, some have been more faithful. Doesn't that matter? Yes, it matters, but do you love your child less who's, been, uh, who's messed up behaviorally than the, than the one who, who hasn't messed up? You're probably sad, but you love them both tremendously. Your heart grieves. You love them. They're important to you. And that's the way God is. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. As the scripture says, God gives strength to the humble, so somehow he shows up with power to the humble, but he sets himself against the proud and the haughty. So you're distancing yourself and he's setting himself against. I like it in the New Living Translation, same verse, it says, he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. You see where grace isn't just forgiving, but it's, it's an empowerment that comes from God and his Holy Spirit? We have underestimated the power of grace. We make it all about forgiveness. It's about an empowerment to overcome as well. The grace to stand. And as the scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So when we walk in humility, when we bow low to him, when we love everybody around us and we treat them uh, like they're important and like they're somebody and, 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 and like they're as important as anybody, then he gives favor there. He gives favor to that person. He gives favor to that church. He gives favor to that workplace. His favor shows up. We're not working on our own power when we start to walk in humility because he shows up with his power. One of the people that you know and love and I know him and love him as well is Dick Foth, who I think has modeled this so brilliantly for me. Um, for the last 20 years or so, uh, I, along with five or six other guys, have been part of a group where we'll go sit with Dick and be a part. And we want to call him our mentor and our leader, but he won't have it. He'll say, no, we're just friends and we're helping each other. And then he'll take uh, us to his other friends who happen to be senators and representatives and people of power in Washington, D.C. And we sit with them, just a small group of us. And sometimes I've been in these meetings thinking, what am I doing here? I find myself, this happened last year, ministering to one of the senators of the United States, and we don't give out names because we, we're told to be careful. And sharing after his, one of his good friends had committed suicide, just giving comfort in scripture and prayer. 
and we leave, and I guess what we hear back is they really like us because we're the only guys, some of them specially request us every time we come because we're the only people that come to give and not to take. We just say, we want to pray for you. We, we want to support you. And Dick taught us this, right? Because that's the way Dick loves us. But, you know, I, I remember saying to Dick something like this 20 or 19 or 20 years ago. It just feels so weird because I'm really nobody and, you know, these, I, they, don't they wonder what's he doing in here? That's the way I felt, you know. Dick said, no, 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 that's not the way it works here. We're all just friends. I'm sharing my friends with you, you share your friends with me. There's, there's this charming humility in Dick Foth and in the people he mentors and shares with, those senators as well, this love of Jesus, this no caste, no pecking order, it's, it's intriguing to them and it's changing lives because it's the way Jesus is. Philippians 2.5 <clears throat> says, in your lives you must think and act like Christ. Christ Jesus, Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on the cross. So God raised him to the highest place, God made his name greater than every other name. So Jesus is our example, has all power in his hands. Think of it. He's sitting in a circle as a child and one little guy says, my dad built that building. The other one says, well, my dad made this road. Jesus could have said, well, my dad created the universe. But he didn't. When that nasty Herod and that Mean man Pilot were acting like they were in charge. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels and just been rescued just like that. But he was thinking of you and I and he was knowing he was headed to the cross on, it was purposeful. I like to say that he shed his blood. I don't like it when I hear that he spilled his blood because spilling is an accident. Jesus did all that on purpose. He knew where he was going but even though he had all power He always did the right thing for people. This Prince of Peace, this King of Kings, washed the disciples' feet to show them how it should work. They wanted to wash his. When he was walking through some place and the children wanted to come see him and people were pushing him away like, no, no, he doesn't have time for you. He stopped and sat down and said, let the little children come to me. I'm not too important for children. When other people wouldn't sit with the woman at the well because the culture wouldn't allow it and because she was immoral, Jesus sat with her because he wasn't that concerned about his reputation. He was concerned about what she needed. He rescued the woman caught in adultery when everybody else had a stone in their hands. He was not afraid to be seen with the tax collector who were the most evil people of that day stealing people's money. This is our Jesus. This is who we follow. This is our example. We had all power and walked in this humility. It's the best way. It will heal your home. 
It will make your neighborhood a better place. It will bless your church. And we need to listen to him and become selfless because God is love and love never fails and this is the way to do it. Second thought we see in here, what we're not supposed to be, what love isn't. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. The Greek word for rude here means shameful or disgraceful behavior. This morning I caught ESPN and saw David Ortiz uh, taking care of the phone on the dugout with a bat and uh, just throwing a, a tantrum and embarrassing himself and his team and it was shameful. Now he's, he's probably done a lot of good things and I don't want to just you know, mark him as an evil guy because I don't, I don't know him. But it's that kind of thing like we think we have permission to do this because someone else wronged us, right? And, and really... So much of the rudeness and anger that comes out of people is this, this thought of rejection. It happens sometimes young in life where people get a chip on their shoulder. Someone rejected me, so if someone's gonna reject me, I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna fight for myself. And God said, you're not quite thinking right there because love's not rude. Now we're all inflicted with this terrible virus called selfishness. We have to battle it. It's not natural to us to be selfless. As a matter of fact, I thought this morning, if we strung together every bad, rude, or angry moment I've had at a Christian and showed it on a video this morning, you would not want me to be your pastor. I failed so many times along the way. That's probably true for most of you. But I'm gonna tell you, I have a heart to become more like Jesus every day. I really want to be like him. So I want to get rid of these selfish thoughts and this insecurity wherever it shows up in my life. Any rudeness, any, any anger that's, that's not right, I, wa- I want the Lord to help me be like him. We're all inflicted with this terrible virus called selfishness. And if you, if you don't believe it, then I want you to think of this. Think of a group photo that you're looking at. You're seeing the picture for the first time. Where do you look first? in the group photo. Who do you look for? And if you look good, do you like the picture? (laughs) If someone's cross-eyed and spinach is on their teeth, but you look good, do you still like the picture? And if that makes you like it even more because they look bad, you've got a bad case of selfishness. This thing going on in the world called selfies, right? It's all about me in this culture. It's all about the flight schedule. It's about me. The traffic, the dress style, the worship style, it's all about me. The weather the amount of work that should be done, everything's filtered through me first. So here's the deal. God flips this and says, love, real love, my love, is concerned with others first. It stops to ask the question, how are you feeling right now? Or how are they feeling? That's what love does. What are they feeling right now? Not what am I feeling? And God says, I want you to be very careful not to be rude. Philippians 2.4, don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. 
So it's not what are my rights, these are my rights, but what is loving in this situation? It's not you hurt me, but I don't want to hurt you. That's what love is. Love doesn't center on me and think what I want is the most important thing. I am not the center of the universe. That's what God would like us all to know. My perspective is not the right perspective every time. It reasons correctly that my ideas are not the most important. Love does. And it's not preoccupied with its own things, but with the things of others. Some of you have heard this story before, but uh, it works today, so I want to share it again. Years ago when my son was, I don't know, eight or ten years old, and I was coaching his basketball team, um, we, we were on our way to a game. And I, I didn't want kids or parents to be late, so I'd made a big deal about that uh, in a nice sort of way. And um, So we had about 20 minutes before the game, and I thought, we can make our stop, and we can still make it, you know, be there on time. So I had Aaron with me. We're in the game. He's going to the game. He's in his uniform, but we stop at Kmart to get something. I don't even remember what the something was. Kmart right here in Tualatin. And um, as we're coming up to the line, there's only two lines going, and they're both really long. And I did what I seem to always have the proclivity to do. I chose the wrong line. (laughs) You know how it is where you get in that line, and you think the other line's moving faster, but if I jump over there, this one will move fast, so I'll just wait. And then you get about halfway, and the other line's gone two or three times. I'm not kidding you. We had been in the store for several minutes looking. We only had about 10 minutes, and I think I waited 15 minutes to get to the front of that line. All along the way, I'm realizing I'm going to be late. And I'm just being honest with you. This is what I'm feeling. I'm thinking, I should get in that other line. Well, I'm halfway. If I get in there, you know, it, and I wouldn't. And this lady, she's an old lady being so nice to everyone. She had to know how their day was and where they were going and what they were doing. And I'm feeling, don't you know people have lives? This little guy can't figure out his baseball card thing. She leaves the stand with this big long line after I've been standing there for 10 minutes, walks over and she's bending over. She's going through these cards and she's talking to him. And I start thinking, I'm, I'm, she's not aware and this isn't very nice what she's doing. I'm, I'm going to tell her when I get up there what she's doing. I had it on my mind. I was thinking it. Don't, you know, people have places to go. You, you, you think you're being nice, but really we're, we're late because of it. I'm thinking all this stuff, you know. <clears throat> and I get up there, and she grabs my stuff, starts to slide it over, and I'm just about to start talking, and I hear this from the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare. <clears throat> so I was like... And then she looks up at me, and she says, Pastor Stan! I, uh, <clears throat> I still don't know to this day if that's a real lady. I think God put an angel there because I've never seen her before or since. First <clears throat> Peter 2.12, people who do not believe are living around you and might say, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're doing wrong. Live such good lives 
that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. None of us are selfless saints, not by a long shot. But we gotta learn to set aside self if we're gonna do this God's way. And to build the kind of relationships. If, you, if we want relationships that last and, and are wonderful, then we gotta believe his way more than our way. Over time, we'll learn that more frequently, when we more frequently meet each other's needs and sacrifice and serve one another, that, that's when the power of love shows up in an incredible way, when we're thinking of others first and not ourselves. And this last one's closely related. It's not easily angered. So we go from rude, self-seeking now to love is, love, love's not easily angered. Now here's <clears throat> God's definition of what love is not, part of it is, and, and I've got all these versions of the Bible and the way they translated NIV here says not easily angered, but the King James Version says easily provoked, another touchy, it's not irritable, it's not quick-tempered, it's not quick to take offense, it's, it's not easily angered, it doesn't fly off the handle, the message says. We have a lot of people making what seem to them really good excuses for their anger. That's not just a lot of people, it's probably all of us at some point. Here's some good excuses. Um, well, I'm tired, I'm uptight. That work's not going well, I'm distraught because of something that happened and it gives the impression that I'm not really even responsible for my own anger. Well, we're always responsible for our own anger. How about the silent treatment? <clears throat> Well, I can't say anything good, so I'm not going to say anything at all, but the truth is it's just meant to hurt someone. I'm not talking to you because you've been mean to me. Problem with repressed anger is it has a high rate of resurrection and it will explode at some point. We can make excuses for these things, but here's the deal. It's not going to go well if we don't listen and try to grow. Some spiritualize it. Well, I have a righteous anger. They were unrighteous to me. So I have this righteous anger towards wrong. And it translates to this. My anger is righteous and yours is not. That's kind of hard to deal with in life. And now in our culture, we have a growing number of people. This, this is really new in the last decade where this started to happen in America because we're, you know, we, it, we just do what we want to do. People flaunt their anger and say something like this, well, God made me this way, I can't help it, so don't be surprised if you push me too far because I will explode. Well, throw you a fish. <laughs> so, um, you know, all of us have had to deal with this, right? Right, so, so I don't want to make, I mean, here's the deal. God loves every one of us. He's just trying to help us. And we can make excuses for ourselves. And maybe someone taught us, you know, that you always stand up for yourself. And it, and it come, but, but it's this unrighteous anger when, when we do. And we've, we've called it good. If we don't call what is bad, bad, we're gonna get hurt and we're gonna hurt others around us. And, and I'm telling you, I'm, God is coming to rescue people today. God is coming to set people free today because the truth is, if some things don't change in some areas, people will leave you. 
I've seen it over and over again. There may be one relationship where they'll hang in there with you, but there may be another who says, and it may be someone very close to you, that I I can't deal with it anymore. For your own sake, for the sake of God's love being poured out on you, we just need to, all of us need to accept his definition and say, God, I need to grow. And you know what? You don't grow just because you say, okay, I have anger and it's bad. It's a beginning point. But you grow when you say, God, I need to get with you and get your spirit in me because I can't do this by myself. And God loves us so much that when we come to meet him in humility to say, Lord, I've hurt people. I'm hurting you. But I know you love me, now help me, help me. And we start to read his word and we memorize those scriptures around the truth of his word. And when we start to make ourselves accountable and we start to pray for the fruit of the spirit, he shows up to grow us and to help us. It takes willpower, your will and God's power. And all he wants to do is bring beauty. That's all he wants to do is bring beauty. Ephesians 4.26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. That means he starts to work and to tear and to wound. God's way is better than our way. So I want to use an illustration that I'm actually kind of embarrassed about today. <clears throat> um, I feel that God wants me to tell it. It's, it's kind of corny, but... but uh, I'm going to try to follow him here. I want to talk to you about a cat and a dog this morning. We had a dog for 16 and a half years named Samantha. My relationship did not get off <clears throat> to a good start with Samantha. Samantha had been abused as a, as a dog. She's kind of a border collie mix and about 30 pounds, blonde, pretty, pretty dog. Karen loved her and everything was great with her and Karen and but Samantha had this weird thing. Every time I would walk into the room, she would pee. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And, and at first I'd come to pet and she would pee and I'm like, hey, uh, what? I know you're happy to see me, but this is ridiculous, you know? And, <clears throat> and then so I stopped petting her. But if I walked in the room and looked at her, I'm not kidding you, just a glance, she would pee. And I started not to like this dog, and I think she could tell. And it really got out of hand for me when she, when we were gone one day, she went upstairs to our bedroom, got on our bed, which she knew better, and she peed on my side of the bed. (laughs) I felt like that was personal, and she knew what she was doing. So I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you, but I did what some people do for training dogs, and I'd learned it when I was young. I started to rub her nose in the pee when she would do it. And then I would toss her outside. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. To my amazement, Samantha and I did not have a good relationship. As she got older in that 13th or 14th year, she, she got slower and... I started feeling sorry for her, and I would um, I'd take her to a safe place <laughs> and pet her. <laughs> <laughs> and
then amazingly, she started to, I mean, after all these years, she started to warm up to me. I mean, we kind of loved each other, but it was, it was a bad relationship, you know? <laughs> but she warmed up to me as I started loving her. And then, now I want to talk about the cat. So I've always been a, uh, a cat hater, uh, pretty much. <clears throat> it, they, they, they just felt like, you know, I mean, a dog, I love dogs, actually. That, you know, it's hard that Samantha didn't like me. I love dogs because they're happy. They want to see you, right? Put skid marks on the ceiling when you get home, right? But a cat will just look at you and like, oh, you, and just go the other way, you know? <laughs> so I, 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 I haven't liked cats very much. But this winter, a little cat that was, that was uh, bloody show up, showed up on our back porch in, in weather that was well below uh, freezing. And I looked at her out there and I thought, what's she doing around here? She's got to have some place. Why would she just show up at any moment? And uh, I, I, I checked a few hours later. She's still there. And I thought, if she goes through the night, this little thing's going to die out there. She, she didn't know where she's at. And I, I assumed that she got in a fight with another cat and ran because she was bloodied some. And, and she was ugly as she could be. Cross-eyed thing, you know. <laughs> Home's there. You know, maybe that's why she can't get home. But <clears throat> so I put a box out there. I started feeling compassion for her. I put a box out there and I put a blanket in it. And then Karen said, don't feed that cat. I just want to show you, Karen Russell's not perfect, okay? <laughs> I talk about her like she is all the time. She's as close as it gets. But she didn't want me to feed that cat because that cat would hang around. She didn't want a cat. But I gave it some milk and some stuff. And then it did, wouldn't let anybody get close to it. So I, it had been in some rough places, evidently. But as I started to feed it, she would warm up. And finally, after a few days, she came close and she let me pet her. And then she ran off. And then our relationship grew where I could pet her more. And then the sun started to shine and we stopped feeding her. And she went away and we thought, well, she found home. But she showed up about eight weeks later on our porch again. And I'm going out there to study during the day now. And I'm telling you, that cat remembers me. So, so when the weather's nice in the back porch in the shade, I'm back there studying. That cat comes out and she lets me pat her now. And pretty soon she's in my lap. And then she comes up and she'll lay down and roll over, you know, and like a dog. <laughs> but she doesn't do that, you know. <clears throat> okay, here's my problem. I have started to... To, l- to really like the cat a lot. <laughs> and, and here's the moral of this corny story. Even animals know when you enjoy them or not. And, and even animals respond in a different way when people are nice to them. And with people, we get upset because they make mistakes and then we start to rub their nose in it. Think somehow just reminding them of it all the time is going to make it better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And when our voices are raised and we're rubbing their nose in it, things deteriorate. But when we think of where they might have been and what they might be thinking in this moment, it really can change the reaction of our behavior. 
I want this person to know in front of me that I love them because I do. I don't want this insecurity in my heart to come out and hurt them because that's not what I'm about. I want the love of God to come to that person. So if that's going to happen, then I have to let the love of God come through me. I have to win that battle. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, always be willing to listen and slow to speak. Do not become angry easily because anger will not help. It will not help you live the right kind of life that God wants. So put out of your life every evil thing and every kind of wrong. Then in gentleness, accept God's teaching that is planted in your hearts which can save you. I want to end with this quote by Lloyd John Ogilvie. Love has a way of making us more concerned for the real needs of others and less preoccupied with our own rights. Not to be provoked means that when we love people, we are good-natured and don't have temper tantrums or fly off the handle. This makes us easier to live with. And I would add to that, it unleashes the love of God in our relationships. And all the beauty that we long for is there where God says to go. It's right there. It's this thing called love that puts others first.